Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Double Digested, a Riverdale recap podcast. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Jonathan. And today we'll be talking about episode four. Chapter four. Chapter four. The The Last Picture Show. Ooh. Okay, so have you ever seen the movie The Last Picture Show? I haven't. Me neither. Okay. But I know that it's like nostalgic about small town Texas okay. at a time where like it, it, it's doing like, um, oh, this is how it used to be in the small town and right, now right. it's like this, but our youth was so nice. <laughs> and I know that the, Jeff Bridges is in it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And I watched, and he was really hot when he was young, and I watched Hell or High Water. Yeah, (laughs) last week, and he's he's good in that. Yeah, he is. He's still got it. Mm -hmm, He does. Okay, so we're hearkening back to Old Americana. Old Americana, like references on references, films and films. Making America great. Nostalgia for nostalgia. Great. The best kind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's this week's episode title. Did you want to get right into it, or did you have any stories for what's going on with you this week? Uh... Oh, yeah. So speaking of Americana, um, I was invited to a potluck last night, and they were like, we're roasting a pork shoulder, so, like, anything Tex-Mex. Oh. So I, like, really leaned into the theme, and have you heard of a Frito pie? No. Wait, like, the chip? Yeah, Frito's like the chip. Okay. Frito pie. Okay. Uh, so Frito pie is a thing that's big in Texas and New Mexico. I had it once in, like, like a bougie version in Oakland. Okay. Um, and it's where you just get, like... The usual kind is like an individual serving bag of Fritos. Oh my god, I already like am weird about Which is like dumped into it. Okay. And like, you know, cheese and shit and okay. sour cream and then like a, just a plastic fork stuck in there and you just eat it with your Fritos. Yeah, yeah. Like just a feed bag, like yeah. a monster. So I made like a big version with like a party size bag of Fritos. Mm-hmm. I like had it kind of in like a tray and I like sliced open the top mm-hmm. and like dumped like chipotle lime <laughs> black beans in there with caramelized okay, onions, like, oh my God, like Tex-Mex good. shredded cheese, cilantro, okay. and like stuck two spoons in there like a goddamn salad right. and like served it up and like suffice to say people definitely did not want to eat it. Okay. But then I went to like a party afterwards and it was like mm-hmm. already late and people like were at the point where they were oh, like, this so is they, great! So it was like, a desperation dish. It did. It found its crowd. I just want to like show you a picture. Okay. We'll, we'll, t- we'll tweet this picture of the Frito pie. Yeah. I just want like, to show my handiwork. Um, what were you up to? Well, yesterday I went for a walk. For those of you who don't know, it's been unseasonably warm here in Toronto. I think it has been in most places. Yeah, we broke a record yesterday. It was like 14 degrees. Beautiful. Um, so we went for a walk. Pause. Here's the Frito Pie. Oh my god. Viewers at home, I'm looking at a photo which can be best described as, like, do you know Irish nachos? It's What's Irish nachos? Okay, Irish nachos. Is that are like, on potatoes? It's like nachos, but like poutine. So instead <laughs> of nacho chips, the base is fries. Oh my god! This has, for some reason, this looks like nachos, but it gives the vibe of Irish nachos. Wow, I'm. It's honored. like misc, but in a way that kind of tempts me. <laughs> um, so we went for a walk and ended up going to this brewery that, like, I've been to once. Okay, we had a difficult time finding it. It's like. It was sort of like, we drove past it, and mm-hmm. then we came back to it, and it was like, it's in a part of Toronto that's kind of like between Ronson Sales and the Junction. Was it Bandit? No, it's called Henderson. Oh. And it's like in a building, 
that's gigantic. So it's like one of those things where when you search it on Google Maps, it's like, it's right here, but you don't know how to get into it because it's like a that giant That happened thing. to me with a brewery on Geary, and yeah. I was like, I guess I'm in the wrong yeah. town. I think that's how breweries like to function. They like to confuse <laughs> their patrons before, yeah. and then they come in confused and thirsty. So we drove by like a couple times, and like Google Maps was like, it's right here, it's right here. And I was like, okay, this is like, it was like the room of requirement kind of, like it doesn't show up unless you really need it. Yeah. Or like Narnia. So we were like banging on walls and like trying to like pull back books and like just, we couldn't get it to appear <laughs> anywhere. And then we turned around and there was a, a sign the size of a billboard that said Henderson's and a huge mm. arrow. And we were like, okay. The huge arrow really, I saw your snaps of like a little beer flag. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, once it. we got in, it was very pleasant, but it was like, it was super cool, but it was one of those places where like everyone who was there like took themselves so seriously in a way that was like almost comical. Beer like, people are wild. Well, no, okay, so we so we went in and first thing there were a lot of like new families, so like hot thirty somethings with like two year olds, right? And you know, like all of the kids in there had like like last name first names, like mm-hmm. their names were like Henderson or yeah, like they were all yeah, named Henderson. They were all, they were all <laughs> named Henderson. <laughs> Or, like, Kennedy or something. Henderson's eat free. Yeah, Henderson's all drink free crappy. It doesn't matter if they're two, they drink free. And my friend and I were arguing over, like, what this... They had this word on the menu, because, like, none of us know anything about beer. Mm-hmm. And there was this word on the menu where, like... Oh, Let I me guess. Hefweizen. No, it, was, it wasn't It was a type of beer. It was, like, a, descri- a type... Like, or it, was a, it wasn't a brand of beer, but it was, like, a type of Belgian ale or something. Oh, and the word was... <laughs> no, it was T-R-I-P-E-L. Oh, triple. Okay, so, so I was like, is it... Tripel or is it triple? Tripel. And, and my friend was like, it's definitely tripel. And I was like, it's definitely triple. And then so we asked the bartender, like, excuse me, sir, how do you say this word? And he's like, triple. And we were like, <laughs> okay, great. Mm. So we out pretentious ourselves at a microbrewery. The tripel. The tripel. So that's what I got up to yesterday. Nice. Um, but yeah, it was a great day otherwise. One time I ordered, like, I like a sour beer, but usually I like a sour beer that's also a little fruity. Oh, and okay. I was at Ronnie's a few weeks ago and I got a sour beer that wasn't fruity. It was just, like, yeasty sour. I and, hate like, that. It, like, t- like, <laughs> and I usually don't want, like, it tastes almost like, like a cheese. Like, yeah, it's kind of yeah. dank, but if you, like, if you psych yourself, like, into it, it's fine. But then Sarah started saying it smelled like a yeast infection. Oh. <laughs> and I, like, like I could not okay, that is so correct because I've had one of those beers at Bellwood's <laughs> Brewery and I ordered it and I was like trying to be impressive to the people I was around. But and as soon as like I placed the order, yeasty. yeah, the server was like, just so you know, that's one of our like sour, more bitter, hoppier beers. Like it does come with quite a punch. And I was like, sir, literally just bring it to me. Okay, relax. <laughs> and I almost threw up when I took the first sip, but I had to finish it so that I seemed like I knew what I was doing. It was awful. Yeah, because I like weird shit like that. I like things that are like pickly and briny and yeasty but yeah. <laughs> as soon as she said that I was like I cannot and also like I I think I like to think that I like those things mm-hmm. but I really would be more happy with just like just a beer honestly a coke like if I could just have a coke when everyone goes for I a beer I had a, cra- a full pregnancy craving the other day I'm not pregnant actually, <laughs> I, um, for a flat fountain coke I was like all I want right now is a coke a that's been in a McDonald's cup for like four hours on the counter and yeah. it's flat yeah with the ice melted to like extra diluted. <laughs> you should open a business that sells flat pops. Yeah. It could be flat pops chocolate shop. <laughs> and you oh can only God. make Coke floats, but every like <laughs> soda ingredient has to be flat. And the ice cream has fully melted in. <laughs> and on that note, we should get into yes, the episode. Let's, let's, get into, let's get into it. All right. So. One great thing mm-hmm. about this episode yeah. that they do that I think is so smart 
is they hand off the narration. Yeah, I was just going to say, unlike the other episodes, we get Cole... Okay, I need to start calling him Jughead, because I only refer to him as Cole's breath. We get Jughead off the bat, and they wrap up with a little twist at the end. Mm -hmm. And I was into that, because I feel like, as much as we all like Jughead, it was time for someone else to sort of, like, take the reins a bit. Yeah, especially because Jughead is someone who loves... Like, he's always branding himself. He always has his guards up. He's always doing his pretentious teenager shtick. So, for what they revealed in the ending, we really needed it to be coming from someone else's perspective for it to land. Yeah, and we'll get there, but it was was definitely a great twist. I love that he refers to Betty as... um, their neighborhood Hitchcock blonde, because as we've been talking about every episode, so much of what this show is doing is defining its women by the color of their hair. It's actually and that so is like true. Hitchcock yeah. 101, and he calls it out. He's such a like an annoying film bro. I know, like, like, okay, so I, we've definitely discussed this before, but Cole Sprouse or Jughead or whatever we're mm-hmm. calling him is one of those people that I love to watch but would hate to encounter. Yes. Like, this is someone I could not be in a room with for more than a second. But in this show, he's giving us exactly what we need in terms of telling the other characters what their place is and also, just telling us the story. Also, speaking of being in the same room, we know someone who knows someone... Stop it, who? Who's dating him. We Shut to bleep this the, out. No, stop. Okay, well, tell me after. Tell me off the record. Okay. Oh, but, oh like, God, we're full so... three degrees of separation. Oh, my God. What a time to be alive in Canada. <laughs> I'm going to try to add him on Instagram. It's happening. It's it's happening. Wow. Um, that, okay, was a real, so... that was a real thing to dangle out there, but I, just, I, I couldn't. I found you can't out... not flaunt that. You can't not flaunt that. Okay, so we start off with, as usual, a narration from our dear Jughead, mm-hmm. who's, of course, sitting where else but Pop's Chocolate Shop. His, his booth. Which, by the way, the sun was rising in this scene, oh. and he already had a coffee going, his laptop open. Like, how early does Jughead get to Pop's to start writing? Well, I think... Like, it was... A- from the beginning, like, I had notes being like, is Jughead sleeping in Pops? Yeah, that's... Well, and we get into that further later on, but... He might be from here on out. If he's not sleeping there, he's arriving there at the moment the door opens. Yeah. Yeah, he's their best customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we hear Jughead's little narration, a little mention of the Salem witch trials, and how yeah. everybody say he's like, it's becoming like, Riverdale's becoming like the town of the Salem witch trials, and I was like, I love it, like, that Jughead is as dramatic as in, as in his own head as I am in mine. Yeah, like, that's a good point. Like, yesterday I was walking, like, like I said, we went for a walk, and we were mm-hmm. just like, in a tobacco, but I was like, this is exactly like Wisteria Lane in Desperate Housewives. <laughs> my friend was like, it's not in any respect, but I oh like that he thought that. I was like, true. What was I thinking about about Desperate Housewives the other day? This show is very much reminds me of Desperate Housewives. It's the same like narration. The blossoms like, the are hella Desperate yeah. Housewives. Oh yeah, they're but very overall, free Because it's the narration based around the death. Yeah, no, it reminded me a lot of Desperate Housewives, and I mm-hmm. bet someone creatively in this show involved must have been involved with Desperate Housewives. Probably. Yeah. It was a great show. Was that a CW show? No, that was ABC. Right. Um, so... Um, we finally see Grundy playing the cello. Right. Not just, like, leaning into it, but she's playing it in, in a town gazebo. Yeah, she's in a gazebo, so she must be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, of course, Archie and his dad approach her at the end of the performance, and we get a little vibe that maybe... What is Archie's dad? Because I, I his mean, what is Fred. his name? Fred. Okay, because I've been calling him Archie's dad. So Fred might be feeling Grundy a little bit. Yeah. And uh, of course, Archie's got a bouquet to give her because small town America. And then Archie's dad gives her an invitation for dinner with the two of them. 
Yeah, uh, and of course, like, what you picture is, like, her coming over to their house, but, like, no, no, no they go to the one restaurant. Yeah, I, was, I actually have that in my notes verbatim. Is Pops the only restaurant in town? I think so. Yeah. Like, they had a bougie nail salon called, like, Shea something something, but they only Shea have... Nails. They only have, yeah, Shea Nails, let's be real. But they only have Pops Chocolate Shop. Which, like, is even in Stars Hollow, which I imagine is being around the same size as or smaller than Riverdale, there were malt, there was Luke's and there was JJ's Diner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a no JJ's is Parks and Rec. Whatever there was, but still, it's like know. it's really a fixture. And of course, not only is it the only place in town, but when they get there, everyone who lives in the town is already there. The gang, I love that we get just like gang hangout time. Yeah, um, I love that Kevin makes Jughead shut the fuck up about Tarantino. Yeah, I know. I was like, thank God there is, like, a sassy gay man to stop this obnoxious... Like, Film bro. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was really important that he shut him up. Yeah. I, and he called Quentin Tarantino the godfather of indie cinema. That was really annoying. And you could kind of tell Cole Sprouse was, like, struggling to get through that line. Yeah, I feel like Cole, Cole Sprouse is constantly at odds with agreeing with, but hating himself for agreeing with whatever Jughead has to yeah, say. Yeah, because he's, like, a very self-aware guy. So, anyway... Jughead is apoplectic. Definitely. That the drive-in is closing. He thinks it's an outrage. He, he calls it a nail in the coffin of Riverdale, nay, the American dream. And I think that was the first of two nays in this episode. Yes, it was. <laughs> two, so whoever was writing this episode, whoever has the script credit. Yeah. They're definitely like... <laughs> they're trolling the actors hard. They really are. And uh, the fact that the actors, especially with the second name, yeah. still pull it off is a miracle. And honestly, it's more of like a kick in the ass to the, the actors who have to listen to another person say it than it is the actor who's <laughs> delivering the line. Yeah. Because at least they can be like, mm, I have to read this. Other people have to take them seriously. At least Betty's one direction was to be like staring off into space during Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so Veronica then, says, in this age of Netflix and VOD, yeah. do we really, like, you know, for us watching this on Netflix, Yeah, she knows. She, she's us. She's us. And, of course, they all get a chance to throw out an old movie suggestion. All of them. Veronica's... An, an apt movie suggestion. Apt, very apt. And, of course, Veronica says, like, anything with Audrey Hepburn. Or Kate Blanchett. <laughs> or, or Kate Blanchett, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> Which, in the first episode, she felt like she was already the Blue Jasmine of yeah. Riverdale, yeah. so... Yeah, I feel like Blue Jasmine is would definitely do good in this world. I could see Kate Blanchett kind of losing it in Riverdale. Yeah, Jughead thinks American Graffiti is a bit too on the nose, so yeah. Betty comes in with... With Rebel Without a Cause. Which she's, like, kind of, like, she's not really chirping Jughead, but, like, t- we know she is. Yeah, and there's a weird exchange after she says it where they kind of just laugh and smile at each other. Yeah, and then uh, Veronica in her, like, like... The, this is the only ship. This is the only ship that matters is yeah. Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. She does her full, like, are you okay, B? Like, and it's just like, yeah, you re- she so cares about her, and she, like, notices. Yeah, and I feel like that's what I really like what they're doing with their friendship in this show, is it's less rivalrous than it is in the comics. Then, then full-on romantic and sexual. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of or seen an episode of Steven Universe? No. I've been watching Steven Universe since, like, day one of Steven Universe. It's a kid's okay. cartoon that has, like, multiple genderqueer and lesbian characters. Okay. Which is crazy because it's for children and they straight up have women kissing. Where is it? And flirting. What is it on? It's on Cartoon Network. It's really really great. It's like a very, very important show. Plus it's good. It would be enough that it was like 
you know, like forward thinking. Do, yeah, and doing very like it's exploring represent like I mean identity in a way mm-hmm. that like very few other shows are. Mm-hmm. They're just so focused on empathy and identity and it's this kid's cartoon and I've been watching from the beginning but every few months I stop watching and then I'll like pick up on a bunch of episodes mm-hmm. and so like when this episode of Riverdale aired, um, I'm watching this children's cartoon that's allowed to have two girl characters, Ruby and Sapphire, explicitly kissing and flirting and being super cute with each other mm-hmm. and then to, to watch that be allowed in a cartoon and then see like Riverdale be so like we're gonna have Benny and Ryan yeah. be like this but like not really be like yeah. this kind of like I mean I don't think that's how Ver- I feel like that's how Veronica's playing it and I feel like I'm not crazy yeah and I feel like another thing that like we need to acknowledge is that Rebecca and I have been singing praises of this show and it's like progressive thinking and everything since day one, but that is not to say that this show is doing everything it could to handle the issues that it's doing in the best way. A lot of it is we're just reading a lot into it. Yeah, we're reading a lot into it. We're just happy that anything exists. Exactly. And we're very excited by the show and the actors and the writing. So we're kind of pandering to it because we're like in love with it. But that doesn't mean it's, it's a hundred percent woke. No, we're definitely a bit too like fawning over the show yeah. but also I think that's the power of I know this isn't a superhero sh- like there's so much superhero shit now and mm-hmm. this isn't that but it is comic book shit and the power yeah. of comic book shit as like an American myth making art yeah. form is the ability like it's it's so two dimensional and you could put so much onto it yeah that's it's, the thing it's like whenever I have mm-hmm. like a tendency to be like well this is really like flat or like not very like subtle i'm just like yeah but it's based on a comic book yeah but, and that's the that's to its benefit I yeah think, is but that, that it gives you the also, space to do that it's it's to its benefit but it's also to its detriment yeah but we no, can't and that's give it why a, as a genre it's like artistically suspect yeah. right like you know it's like not always great superhero stories are always kind of the same shit and exactly like, yeah so, so <laughs> going forward so, um, we go to Cheryl's booth. And, of course, she's drinking with... What does she call them this time? Every time we're introduced to these two girls, they get another insult. Yeah, so later on, she calls them the hair models from hell. Satan's <laughs> hair models or something. And I, I wasn't sure if that was a reference, but I was too tired to look it up. Me neither, but she's called them mannequins before. Um, I love a couple things about them. I love, one, pouring cherry shops. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it was sunrise a crisp ten seconds ago, but Cheryl and her two whatever they're called, cronies, are sitting in a booth, watching the sunrise, drinking schnapps in their, like, colas. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be nighttime for now, and it was just, like, filming. So I I love that. I love that that's so significant. She's like, (laughs) that that's what they do. They're, like, seniors. Yeah, and and no one questions it. No one questions it. And two, I love how they're full-on... Like, they're supposed to be the mean popular girls in 2017, but they're dressed like the pink ladies from Greece. Yeah, yeah, they're really, they, they're the worst dressers in the show, but somehow they maintain some weird, like, power authority. Like, people just kind of respect them regardless of it's what so they're doing. It's so weird. Like, the rich popular girl would not be wearing, like, like, they wouldn't be wearing, like, pink leather jackets yeah. and, like, little bows in their hair. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. Um, so she gives Hermione shit. <laughs> For working at the restaurant. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, for Hermione has... Well, Veronica gets up to get involved, but Hermione, being Veronica's mother, it. does not need her. Mm-mm. She's got a great line, and she tells her, 
I went to school with your mom, and she also didn't know the difference between having money and having class, and just literally struts away. Like, it was straight up Real Housewives. It was perfect. It was perfect, and Veronica's there in the back. Yeah. Veronica's like, and I'll sit back down. Um, So Betty plucks Archie out of... Mm-hmm. The dinner, and they're outside. Yeah, so this is just after Archie and Fred and, what's her name, Grundy walk in. Mm-hmm. And Betty immediately, being Betty, gets up, pulls Archie outside, and confronts him about finding out that he and, well, that Grundy was at the what, the River's Edge, or whatever yeah. they're calling it. <laughs> Sweetwater at six, River. Sweetwater River at 6 a.m. on the, the day. When the gun went off. When the gun went off. So she's telling Archie she knows, and she's asking if he was with Grundy at the time. Yeah. So then, what, so Archie's, like, freaked out and stressed out, and this, this subplot carries out through most of the episode, where yeah. Betty's kind of, like, pushing Archie to do the right thing, and Archie's kind of like, give me my own time, like, I'll deal with it. Yeah, and a lot of, it's not like that, like, and yeah. Betty just wants what's best for him. Yeah, and ultimately, like, it ends up with him being like, did Jughead tell you? And then Betty knows Jughead knew, and Jughead kind of sinks down into his chair. And then Veronica heads outside, because she's because, such a little snoo. Yeah, because what's the situation without she Veronica? She smells a scandal. She does. And of course, she's in a full wool cape. The, the full wool cape. I love the wool cape. Um, I actually, after this episode, tried to find it. It's findable. <laughs> it's like $115. I'm considering That's getting it. it. Yeah. I'm going to get it, too. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) I seriously, last year, went on, like, a quest to find a cape, and I was, like, looking at all these, like, tribally printed capes, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want to buy anything that was, like, appropriative or insensitive, so I started looking at ancient civilizations. Okay. But I don't know if it's still cultural appropriation if it's an ancient civilization. I wonder. Yeah, so... But the black cape is The black cape is classy. It is... Timeless. It is mm-hmm. Veronica. I want one with like a South Side Serpents patch. On the back. <laughs> I I, yeah, we need to get into that tattoo. So Veronica asks Archie if Grundy is his booty tutor. Yeah, bo- <laughs> she uses the word booty tutor, and Archie doesn't even flinch. It's like, no, not that. But everyone keeps going. Another great Veronica line, not given the right attention. And who should show up in her car but Alice Cooper? Alice pulling up to the pops function. <laughs> And intervening in her typical Alice Cooper way, telling Betty to get in the car, and the two drive off. She's so mad that Betty hangs out with Archie and Veronica. There's a lot of the stuff behind Alice that I get, and that is something that I, like, do not get. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we definitely are going to have to get more into Polly to figure out what's screwing with Alice. Mm -hmm. But she's not, she's unrelenting as, like, this watchful helicopter mother. And she just pulls uh, Betty right out of that situation. (laughs) Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but Betty fully did not pay for her shake. Like, they were sitting there, she steps outside, and Al swoops her up. And, like, Jughead's definitely gonna have to cover that tab, and, like, maybe he's not in the best position to do that. Two things here. One, Betty didn't have the shake. Two, if Jughead doesn't cover it, maybe Veronica and Hermione are, like, comping the shakes. Right. That's true. I wonder if they dine for free. Mm -hmm. I feel like this would be a tough town to have those kinds of, like, freebies, though, because literally everyone knows everyone. That's true. Do Hendersons eat free at Pa? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it would be a little rough if Veronica didn't eat free. Yeah. Maybe that is why they go there, because everyone thinks they can get a free meal. Maybe that's all it is. Um, so Betty goes home, and she furiously writes in her diary. Her pencil snaps. Because she's super angry. And yeah, and this, she's she's at her edge. Yeah. And maybe she will snap. <laughs> and this HB2 is going to feel the burn. Uh, and then... Oh, okay. Back to the diner. Okay, yes, back to the diner, but... 
I have a question that I didn't follow something in the show, and I don't know if you can enlighten me. Okay. So Betty goes home. Yeah. And she's, like, furious, whatever, typing, or writing, and then there's a shot of her searching something on Sleuthster. <laughs> Did you see that? It's like a, <laughs> the, it was the name of the search Sleuthster. engine. And she's typing, and it's just before we flash back to the diner, and I assume it's Betty, like, Googling Grundy. To yeah. Like, but I guess they can't Google, so she's Sleuthstering her. And I was like, okay, this search engine needs to be real, and I looked for it. doesn't exist, unfortunately. No. But I guess that's just Betty doing her Snoopy work. Yeah, but... Doesn't Veronica name drop Google after? Anyway. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. They talk about, like, a lot of existing trademark them, things. Yeah, I guess it's that. That's rules of it something. Anyway, so afterwards, we're still kind of, like, in the diner parking lot, and Hermione um, is having an argument with a sketchy gangster by mm-hmm. the dumpster. Yeah. And Cheryl, like a goddamn classic Cheryl she is. And they're convertible in their leather jackets, full grease West Side yeah, Story yeah. ladies. She goes, riddle me this. What would so-and-so be snooping about with a blah, blah, blah? Yeah, she's like having a perturbed conversation. Having with, a tete-a-tete. Oh, a tete yes. <laughs> a tete-a-tete with, well, she calls them the Southside Serpents. Right. At this point, we haven't been... Uh, Explained. So this could just be how Cheryl talks about human beings. Yes. I read my notes, Cheryl is everything and not human and not real. <laughs> That's like the only way I could tackle her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she takes a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, then we are off to... School. School, where Grundy and Betty are having a sit-down interview for the paper. <laughs> and Betty... <laughs> Betty really gets into it in this interview. Yeah. She, uh, she starts off pretty mildly asking about previous independent study projects right. and we find out that Grundy had worked with Jason Blossom which is interesting and then they talk about how it's such a tragedy and then Betty full crazy eyes Betty <laughs> she crazy eyes Cooper leans in and goes but wasn't he cute <laughs> he was pretty cute though <laughs> and, and Miss Grundy looks at her and just goes uh, I don't think of my students that way yeah and Betty realizes what she's done, and Grundy picks up her shit and prepares for class. Mm-hmm. So that's what we get from that scene. And next, we find Cheryl and Veronica at school. Yeah, and Cheryl is just full Sharpay from High School Musical. Very Sharpay. That's such a perfect classification of what she is. She's like... And she's, Jason was her Ryan. Yeah, she's oh. mean just to be mean. Yeah. Um, so Cheryl approaches Veronica with a pic that she took from the diner of Hermione arguing with a Southside serpent. Which Kevin later explains that they're they're bad, they're drug dealers, they're up to no good. Yeah, they're the Hells Angels of Riverdale. Pretty seems. much. Um, and I like that Cheryl is like, oh, your poor mother probably has to sell her hair extensions. Yeah. And Veronica goes, my mother's a waitress, not Fontaine. <laughs> Which is beautiful. Yeah. And then says, you may be a stock character from a 90s teen movie, but I'm not. Which I love because it's true. Like she's yeah. calling out Cheryl for being a ridiculous not real person, Which whereas she Veronica totally is. like is a kind of new type of character. Yeah, she really is. She's a modern woman, and Cheryl pivots away. She does a full pivot. Of course, she pivots because like, turning like, around is not. She's enough. on ballpoint. Yeah, <laughs> one leg out, one leg planted. Step ball change. <laughs> Circ- circling around. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we flash to Jughead talking to Mayor. What's her name, Mayor? Uh, McCoy. Mayor McCoy in the office, begging her to leave his sweet drive through B or drive in B. Mm-hmm. she's not having it. She says it's getting in the way of Riverdale's development or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he just sort of throws a fit in her office and is like, please, you don't understand. Tells a heartfelt story about his... So you get the idea that he's not at, yeah, the socioeconomic level. Mm-hmm. He used to sneak in with Jelly Bean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so... And he says, it's like my home. And his eyes get like, because this is on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, it's like my home. And his eyes get really wide and desperate. And like, if my heart wasn't already just all the way there for Jughead, this is the episode that really explains away a lot of his awful, like, annoying tendencies. Yeah, and you sort of start to feel some sympathy for him, which is a new feeling for the viewer at this point. Mm -hmm. But, of course, the mayor doesn't feel that and says something like, that's a a great sentiment. And, And then she looking like Fanny Newton and Vanessa Williams asks him kindly to see himself out. So then we're we're with Betty and uh, and Grundy. But no, no, Betty and Veronica and oh, their okay. dossier, their compromat about right. Grundy with Archie at Pops. Right. And they reveal that they found out through some... Veronica does such a little, like, we found it through the deep net and the dark web. Yeah. JK, it was Google. Yeah. <laughs> and then Betty's like, so I checked her Facebook and LinkedIn, and I'm like, this is literally me. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I did a deep dive, and she exists only as of a year ago. And the real Miss Grundy, I love this, just looks like straight-up cartoon spinster Miss Grundy. Yeah. So that was really nice that they, like... And she died seven years ago, so Geraldine Grundy is not Geraldine Grundy. And, in fact, not only... Only do we see the old original OG Grundy, but she's wearing the same clothes from the comic, which I thought was very charming. Yeah, it's like a little polka dot. Yeah, like even in her outfit, they like show her school her teacher uniform. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so Archie being Archie doesn't really listen. It's kind of like, mm, you don't understand. Like, we're in love. And Betty's like, did you hear anything we just said? Which... Fair enough, but also if I googled someone or checked their LinkedIn and it only existed as of a year ago, I'd be like, okay, so either they're just an old person or they just started caring about LinkedIn a year ago. But yeah. for Betty, it's like, she's an imposter. And if you're a teacher, I know because Betty's had her LinkedIn since she was nine. Oh, yeah. Betty yeah. probably like was on the beta list of that app opening up. That's how she connected with Tony Morrison. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then... Keeping with the theme of the episode, um, Archie and Grundy are entwined on a date that mm-hmm. night in Grundy's house, I guess, yeah. watching an old movie projected on her wall. Because of course. Because of the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And uh, Archie asks Grundy about um, where what, about her past. He says, we always talk about me, but we never talk about you. Right. So Betty and Veronica did get to him a little bit. And yeah. he does want to He's know more. trying to crack the shell. And he asks, did you always want to be a teacher? And she is like, ha. And yeah. gives a little backstory about how, kind of like a, tr- like a very realistic thing of like, I went to the best school, I auditioned for all the things. And like, even when you work hard, sometimes the talent's not there. Yeah. But she also does say that she like, pre- Prior to working... Actually, no, this wasn't in the interview with Betty, but I did want to touch on it. She describes her past work experiences like working a little here and a little there. So on fake high school names. Yeah. Like, we, we know that. Yeah. Like, sweet, uh, sea, seaside and, and, and central. Yeah, and I think we did also, like, touch on this in F1, but, like, we were like, oh, they're making Geraldine Grundy, like, hot and young, but, yeah. like, there's no one under 50 named Geraldine in this world. Right. And that from the get-go, should have been a tip-off to this entire town that this woman is not who she says she is. Exactly. That's 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 all you needed to yeah. know. Or, like, and as long as she was going by, like... Jerry. Jerry. Or... Raldine? Aldi? Aldi, yeah. Or just Deanie? <laughs> yeah, Deanie. Um, 
That's such a dumb name. That is Deeny, pretty bad. Deeny Grundy. Um, Deeny Grundy. But anyway, so so Archie's a bit suspect, asking her about her past, and she kind of gives him like an answer that's like, I didn't get into my orchestra, so I became a teacher. Not every dream works out. Yeah, and he's like, is this a dream? And yeah. then, meanwhile... <laughs> always the best shit kid detectives mm-hmm. that need B&B breaking into the the car Volkswagen yeah and Betty's like shimmying like a ruler into the window. I love <laughs> and it. And Mark's like, "How do you know how to do this?" And she's like, "Me and my dad used to work on cars." But I was just like, "Well, also like it's a 1950s car. You could probably just Google like what like switch do I have to flip from the outside to unlock this car?" Yeah. So they get in. They get into <laughs> Grundy's jalopy. Yeah. Uh, and they're sitting there. In the front seats, yeah. looking, snooping around for stuff, and Veronica's, like, really worried being, like, this seems sketchy, and Betty's like, it's for Archie's sake. Yeah. We have to know. They find a box. She they open it with a bobby pin. With a bobby pin! Because classic Americana. Because she learned it from Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one she got from Nancy Drew, and inside the box, they find exactly what you would find of a person in a show like this. An ID with a different name. Full McLovin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's Full McLovin. She's Jennifer Gibson. She's Jennifer Gibson, and they find a firearm, which, of course, because as we go through this episode, we're going to learn every single character has a gun. Yeah. Well, as we learn, Betty, I guess, takes it. Betty takes the gun. Which? Which is, okay, like, I get that you need evidence, but you could also just tell Kevin's dad to check the car. And also, like, Betty, I have seen you... I do not trust you yeah. with a gun. Yeah. You couldn't, like, sit down calmly while Archie played a song on a guitar. You don't need a firearm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Um, and then, so Jughead pays Archie's dad a visit at the construction site office. Mm-hmm. And please with him, because we learn that Archie's dad's construction company will be the ones demolishing his, like, his home. Everyone has a take in everything. Everyone has their hands in each other's pies. In yeah, video. yeah. Uh, he pleads, and then we get a bit more... On Jughead's backstory. Right, because he said, oh, well, you've already put you put one Jones out of work. Yeah, because, oh, also, I don't know if we mentioned this, but right. Jughead's working at the theater. Yeah, he's the projection boy. Yeah, so then we learn that Archie's dad, Fred, fired Archie's... Jughead's dad. dad for stealing construction material back in the day. Sure, which, like, how do you get away with stealing, like, a full-on, like, pipe or yeah, whatever? Like what, but... Yeah, what are you taking, like, rafters home with? Yeah, and then, so we have one parental face-off, then we have the made-off, money hand-off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is uh, with uh, Hermione and the mayor. Mm-hmm. And finally we see what's happening with that bag of money that mysteriously appeared in their apartment, Chateau Lodge. Yeah. Um... And she's dropping it off to the mayor, who says something like, um, "We'll call it a campaign donation." We'll call it a which, campaign like, donation. how fucking ridiculous in Riverdale, though. Yeah, you need, like, in this um, town of twelve people, that you yeah. need to campaign. Um, and then she's like, "Your secret's safe with me as long as you uphold your end of the bargain." She says that to the mayor. Um, then we move to. It's the next morning at Grundy's house, and Archie's there. Which, like, Archie's dad is awful. Yeah, like, I, I like that, like, two episodes ago, he was like, you're grounded, no going out. And now he's full-on staying overnight at Grundy's, yeah. like, in the kitchen. But he's, but Archie, but Fred's probably just like, he's probably going for one of his, like, seven-hour, like, middle-of-the-night runs. Yep. 
and we get more of Grundy's backstory. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, like, does a lot to both um, give her character a third dimension. Mm-hmm. We don't even know if she's telling the truth or not. It seems like she is when she tells the story of how why she changed her identity. Right, because, I don't know if we mentioned this, but... Betty and Veronica do end up telling Archie. Right. And they're like, you need to, like, figure this shit out as Archie. He's like, we'll try. And so he asks her. Mm -hmm. And also, sorry, in the scene before, just to mention, after they give the money, they do the money exchange, I don't know if it's the mayor or if it's uh, Hermione who says, like, the Blossoms can't find out about this. Right. So we're going to go back to the lawyer parents, which will definitely be an exciting showdown. But anyway, so Archie's talking to Grundy, and she reveals that... She did, in fact, change her identity, but that because she was a victim of domestic abuse, Mm -hmm. and she was, like, on the run. And that's why she has the gun. Yeah. And she kind of, like, it gives us, like, she's trying to project, I guess, that, like, this is why maybe she feels comfortable with sweet young boys like Archie. Mm -hmm. It's kind of her villain origin story. Um, Yeah, so it doesn't excuse her actions, but it also gives a dimension. Yeah, Yeah, and, like, and, and... fleshes out the character. Yeah. So, fine. Um, and this is, like, the first time we sort of feel for Grundy, so I kind of let it go. But even it is still not. presented as manipulative, mm-hmm. and, like, sh- telling, like, so that Archie, when he's talking to Betty later, being like, I'm the only thing she has. Like, that's yeah. a lot to be putting on, like, the young victim of your statutory It is. Rate. It is. Like, it's a real mind screw. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it works at a lot of levels. And then we get really one of my favorite um, scenes. Yeah, Kevin Kevin and his dad have a highly improbable, impossible conversation. <laughs> and I like that the show is going everywhere they can with gayness, but this conversation was... Let me tell you that no father and gay son have ever had this conversation in the world. The weirdest relationship. <laughs> and they like put like a splash of cringe on Kevin's side, but this really is passed off as a very neutral conversation. Kevin's dad asks him if he's got a date for the dinner tonight, and Kevin's like, no, I'm going with Veronica, so we understand that Kevin's dad knows he's out. But then then, even more. But then even more, he says, aren't there any gay kids at your school? Kevin goes, yeah, me. Yeah, which they acknowledge the trope of, like, he's, like, the one, like, the nice gay, but, like, kind of, like, celibate character, which is, you know, a trope, and they're acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. And then, and then his dad goes, okay, but no cruising boys tonight. No cruising in the bushes. Which no small town sheriff has ever told their gay son, like, don't you go cruising boys, I know what happens in the forest. It's a very interesting relationship. This show is making a choice to not make one of Kevin's subplots that he has, like, a homophobic Yeah, which, like, in... Any chance of this scenario IRL would be, like, a 90% outcome. But if it is the 10% where, like, this small-town sheriff is just, like, fine and accepting and loves his son... Yeah. I think it gives you a chance to, like, explore interesting territory. It does, it does. It reminded me of, like, Kurt's dad on Glee. It was like... Well, even Kurt's dad at first was like, oh, that's strange. But then he's like, all right, go be gay. Like, let's find you a boyfriend. Yeah, and I also love that Kevin is so, like, he dresses so... Dad core so yeah. norm core. This is so he dresses like a little mini sheriff, and to see him with his dad, like looking like sheriff's deputy. Yeah, and of course, like Kevin's response to this comment is even like, "What the hell?" It's like it's almost aw shucks. He's like, "Dad." Yeah, it's like very like Archie comic response to that. So weird. So um, so then we move on to Betty and Archie talking again about what, but Grundy. Right. And Betty's speaking some truth, and, like, honestly, 
I, like, usually I find Betty to be a bit naive and, like, come on, like, what are you doing? But in this episode, she's really, like, preaching some much-needed advice to Archie. Yeah. And she's, she's literally, like, I think she says to Veronica, like, he's not listening to rationale or logic. He's just crazy. Yeah. And so every time Archie goes and speaks to her, he comes back with Betty and she goes, okay, but she's still lying. She's still manipulating you. Like, you need to tell someone. Um, and I guess, like, gradually we're hoping Archie learns a little bit with each conversation from Yeah, because each time it plants the seeds of doubt. Mm-hmm. And then Betty's mom finds the gun. Betty's mom... Yeah, there's... First, quickly, though, we're in uh, Chateau Lodge again. Right. And I think... Uh, and... Hermione reveals that she's going to the movie with uh, with Fred, which is an unusual coupling, which I didn't expect because we haven't had a hint at it yet. No, except in the first episode where she tried to get a job and right. was like, that wouldn't look good. There was a bit of tension there. And yeah. can I also just say that I think, like, Smithers is, like, the gay character in the show that no one is talking about. Like, oh, Smithers sure. is, like, holding it down. He's got, like, the impeccable style, the great taste, and he's, like, his idolized, like, strong female character. I think she says, like, I'm just an old hag. And he's like, you're nothing of an old hag. And she goes, like, of course not. I'm yeah, joking. Yeah. Like, that's the first time we really see an edge on her mind. Yeah, she yeah. really, like, Smithers gave, gave not the answer she wanted. No, he didn't. But he would definitely take a bullet for this woman. Yeah, so she's going to go with Fred. Mm-hmm. It's all sorted out. And we're back at Betty's, where mm-hmm. Alice, of course, snooping slash putting laundry away because she's Alice Cooper. And she finds the firearm in Betty's, like, sock drawer, which is like, okay, Betty, we get that you're, like, a all-American girl next door who's but soup's naive. But do better. Yeah, like, literally, you're, you, like, if you were, like, to your parent, I have something, like, secretive and dangerous and personal in my room. Where do you think it is? Sock drawer is the first answer of any yep. parent. So she finds this gun, and immediately she goes to the diary, and she starts reading. Sure, we're like, if your last, or if, if your kid had a gun at all, let alone if your last daughter, like, you had some real scares with, your last daughter, yeah. your current daughter, mm-hmm. um, this is, this episode is very good at putting Alice in the right I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Most of her behavior is over the top, but this episode is over the top in the service of, like, pretty much undeniable morals. Yeah, and, like, well, it, it comes to a peak later on in the episode, and yeah. we'll get to that, but, uh, so next we're off at the movie. Which, I just want to say, full, with this whole drive through every scene that takes place in the drive through this is the sort of centerpiece that, for me, is, like, the reason that this show exists, the show justifying itself. Mm-hmm. This is for me, the show at its best. Pep Rally is kind of the same thing where it's like, oh, this is why they're doing Archie comics. This is why they're doing it now. This is why they're blending the old aesthetics with the with the kind of modern uh, stories and relationships. Like, yeah. The things like the drive-through and the fact that it's like this perfect sprawling centerpiece for each of the characters dynamics to change and progress and play out. Yeah. Like, it just works for me at, like, every level. I, I get, like, shivers of satisfaction. And I also like that I feel like something that we haven't seen in some of the shows that we've talked about relating to this, mm-hmm. like, in these scenarios where, like, we have these classic situations, like a pep rally or, like, a drive-in theater, they bring all of the generations and characters of the show into it. Yeah. You know, like, we never saw, like, the parents in Glee going to, like, a drive-in movie or, no, like... No, most teen shows... They are in separate Completely spaces. separate worlds. And Riverdale, in Pops, they overlap at, like, the big town assemblies, yeah. like that Taste of Riverdale, they yeah. overlap. Yeah, they're, they're, they're always all there, which is perfect, because it lets them develop every 
character's story and then link them together. Yeah, and you like, always see the mirroring of the parents and the kids. Exactly. So, so of course, we find out that Betty's choice wins because I guess Audrey Hepburn was not <laughs> on the list. <laughs> so it was off the table. So Rebel Without a Cause is playing Jughead is sulking in the booth because classic mm-hmm. and surprisingly and personally a little bit refreshingly, Cheryl drives up to. Kevin and Veronica's car insults them and then says, move over, buttheads, and, like, gets in. I love that. I was very into it. Because I like that she's full frenemy. Yeah, I I literally wrote full-on frenemy. Frenemy, which is really one of my favorite types. I don't know if you ever watched Buffy, Mm -hmm. but Cordelia on Buffy was the same thing, where she was mostly the popular girl making fun of them, but she clearly kind of wanted to, like, join in. Yeah. And they kind of go along with it. She's like a Santana on Glee, too. It's like, I hate you and you look stupid, but will you be my friend? And I like how she says, Jason always adored the drive-in, and Kevin gives, like, a death stare. Yeah, Kevin is, like, the the cut-eye that I give the TV, he gives on my behalf. He's like a surrogate for me rolling my eyes at Cheryl Blossom. Um, So then we find... Uh, Archie and Hermione are in their car, and Hermione or Fred has to, and Hermione. Sorry, yeah, Fred and Hermione in his truck, and she has to step away to what, like, powder her nose or something, or so she says. Yeah. And Betty's mom pulls up and is like, "Get out of the car! Like it's about the kids." And so Fred's like, "Okay." I like that she has a flashlight. I love yeah. how whenever anyone is like being a detective on the case, they've yeah. got a flashlight in their yeah. show. Yeah, and also you know that like Alice Cooper is like one of those moms who. 24-7 has a flashlight. She's also got, like, a whistle in her purse. Mace. And, like, mace. Certainly mm-hmm. mace. And she's, like, used it on a, the occasional, like, homeless person or something. <laughs> yeah. All of... Well, actually, yeah. Uh, I was about to be, like, all the homeless in Riverdale, but yeah. actually. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and Fred, at least, is, like, a good dad here and is, like, okay, if it's about the kids. Yeah, he's, like, you're psycho and I really don't care for you, but fine. Um, and then... Then we go back to the three... Actually, you know what? In the scene where we flash back to Kevin and Veronica's car, is Cheryl in it at this moment? I think so. Okay, because maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Yeah, I think she's there. And this is great because they talk about how the Southside Serpents are really causing such a ruckus. And this is the part that was like, until, we'll talk about the ending, but up until this point, the Southside Serpents seem like so lame. Yeah. They also seem like something out of like, West Side Story. Like, they just have these, like, aging, like, bike, and they're just kind of what? They're, like, sitting around at the drive-thru, like, hissing? Yeah, and their their act of rebellion was, like, it wasn't, like, violence or, like, profane language. It was, like, throwing beer cans noisily. You know, like, it wasn't... (laughs) 50-year-old men in leather jackets, like an old doo-wop gang. Also, like, like, they were were acting the way where, like, if I were at a drive-in theater, I would probably be doing it. Like, All the they, teens They had, would like, be a blanket, that. and they were sitting out of cars, and they were, like, in a circle. Like, they weren't, like, doing anything overtly awful. They were just being a little loud. It's really weird, because, like, I don't know if you've ever seen my favorite Disney Channel original movie, Teen Beach Movie. I haven't. But the fun Teen Beach Movie is it's, like, the surfers versus the bikers. And it's, oh. like, a six-year-old's idea of, like, what that would be, because okay. it's for small children. Right. And, like... This is what that was like. It's like we're bikers. We we loiter and we litter. Yeah. Like, and I know Kevin added like, oh, they're dangerous. They like deal crack. But like, you're really not getting that vibe. Yeah. And like, we have not met a single person in this town who does crack. So I don't know who they're they're but demographic. Anyway, is. Veronica shuts them up. Yeah. Veronica. Yeah. First, Kevin gives like a weak. Yeah. And then we see him catch some eye of a guy sitting over there. Yeah. Who's sitting with a girl? Who's sitting with a girl? Then we cut to Veronica, who stands up in the back of the pickup truck and delivers the best line. Did you want to say it? You say it. She says, uh, 
she says something like, if you want to find out what happens when a Louboutin steps on a snake, keep talking. And then just sits down, and Kevin's like, oh, The shucks. crowd applauses <laughs> the crowd, and honking. Yeah, people, like, the They're north applauses. side people are, like, honking yeah. and, like, clapping, and she's so, like, selfish and, like, mm-hmm. And then she says, I just hate when people disrespect my cinematic experience. Yeah. She's like, I've dealt with worse things on the Upper East Side. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in the East Village. Right. In the, oh, of course. In the also- East, which is literally, yeah. Like, but... Yes. Yeah. And, oh, I think we missed the scene earlier, the the line earlier, where Kevin goes, do you even remember what it was like before Veronica got here? Yeah. Kevin was so quick. In episode two, he was so loyal to Betty, being like, Betty, you cannot forgive her, to being, like, Veronica's right-hand man. And he's in a full 180. He's gone to the dark side. He's in awe of Veronica, which, yeah. yeah, Well, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? So, um... Cheryl asks Kevin to get her a, ch- a cherry cola, which, mm-hmm. like, okay, which cartoon I, character. Yeah, very, very cherry cola. She's, yeah, she's, like, trying to be a Lana Del Rey, maybe. Yeah, or, like, Lana Del Rey's trying to be her, but someone's <laughs> trying to be someone. <laughs> someone. Um, and then... Kevin at the snack counter is my other favorite scene in the whole episode. Yeah, he gives a very, like, kind of, like... Very frustrated, frustrated, but earnest, like expression of the way that he's feeling when the guy's like, "We're out of hot dogs," and he's like, "Go figure." Yeah, <laughs> like and he that. looks at the couple <laughs> making out in their in their car. Yeah, he, he's just ordering so much pity food for himself. Yeah, I really like how the snack bar is lit, and the the bo- the snack boy kind of looks like I don't know if you've ever seen Cabaret. Yeah, um, but like. He looks a bit like the Nazi youth. <laughs> He's like a prepubescent teen who hasn't quite found himself and is trying to figure out his life by, like, serving people. Yeah, you almost food. think that's going to be a thing, but yeah. it's not because he says, Kevin's like, oh, who am I trying to impress? All I need a hot dog. And he turns around. Uh, who should step in? But the, what do they call the serpent? Southside serpent, who was giving him eye, sitting with that girl, and says something like, not so tough with it, your beard, are you? Yeah. <laughs> and for a second, I was like, oh, I didn't know he had a beard at one point. And then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and his eyes are as blue as the sea. Yeah. And then we cut away. To Veronica spying on her mom, having that shady deal with shady guy. Yes. So at this point, this is a follow-up of Veronica finding out about her behind-the-dumpster argument at Pops. And her mom had really tried to downplay it and be like, oh, no, like... You know, we need to give these people the benefit of the doubt, and we weren't fighting. Mm-hmm. He just said something fresh. Yeah, it was like, like it was a lewd comment, and I was just dealing with it, darling. Don't worry. And now but they're like, now Veronica's seeing like her mom's in trouble, and her mom's lying. Yeah. So Veronica full on hears their conversation. Her mom is giving money to the Southside Serpent, which mm-hmm. apparently is not enough. So they're doing some sort of shady deal here. Yeah. And, and before we could go somewhere very dark and scary, we go to, to the. the darkest and scariest <laughs> the music room at riverdale yes we have a, a gift from archie to miss grundy he gives her a bow he gives her a bow which i was like okay fine but also like well i guess if you were like a cellist it might be more exciting but i was so disappointed by that gift. this whole like it's like this whole he could have given her like a, no a nude selfie book and he gave her a bow and she she's really like could have because that would have been like giving it to all of us and also, also yeah it would have been a gift to us it would have been a gift to her and like this we've learned was a goodbye gift. And I mm-hmm. think, like, a nude selfie book is a much better way to say, like, see you later, but also, like, don't forget me. Which actually comes up in their conversation, but yeah. I guess, like, a bow is the same. Uh, and before, you know, they could really, um, 
get into the meat of it. Their goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> they go in for a kiss, and who should throw the door open? Alice. Alice Cooper. And she's accompanied by Betty and Fred. Betty and Freddie. Betty and, and Freddie. And they storm into the music room. Calls her Mrs. Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick cutaway to... Kevin and we learn. We learn. Well, okay, so they stylize this shot, like slow panning up to them, like he's getting beat up. You think he's getting beat <laughs> yeah, up? Yeah, like and you're like, Ugh, <laughs> like they're. And we get, like yeah, we get up to the head level and we find out that Kevin and his new beau are like making out against this chain link fence. Quite aggressive, like in an almost disgustingly aggressive way. It was like, it had like impact sounds. It was like, <laughs> it was very automatopoeic. And and then they pull away, and Kevin's like, I really gotta go. They exchange numbers, and we learn his name is Joaquin. Joaquin! Which, like, of course it's Joaquin. And then Kevin says, I'm Kevin Keller. And, and Joaquin, Joaquin says, like, Detective Keller? Like, Sheriff Keller. Like Sheriff Keller. So it's a full Romeo and Juliet. And, and Kevin's like, is that a problem? He goes, of course not. So one's in a gang, one's in a thing. Mm-hmm. One's a share. I love that Rebel Without a Cause is going on in the background because yeah. James Dean is like confirmed by. Yeah. So. So there's a lot of different levels going on here. A lot of levels in this show. Yeah. Speaking of levels, I do want to talk about if you think Kevin's a top or a bottom. Ooh, that's an interesting topic. I feel like Kevin is the type who would like pretend to be a top and then when he gets to the bedroom be like well we can bottom if you want you know what I mean like he's like he's like someone who like on Grindr's like I'm down for anything but he's really a bottom and I feel like that's why he's very excited by this guy because this guy is definitely a top although he has those sweet baby eyes and Kevin's very like um aggressive with the phone he like takes it he's like here number Puts it yeah, to his Kevin. Chest. Kevin is a total power bottom, and yeah. this guy is a top. And like, Kevin is very excited at this, this pr- like prospect. And I feel like maybe that's why he wasn't into Moose so much because Moose was a little bit more like shy and kind of like like delicate in the way he's like, "Do you want to like do something tonight?" Whereas this guy's like snogging him against the fence, like he's like punching him in the stomach, and Kevin's like, "Take my number." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, unfortunately, we can't live in this moment no, forever. We get like, pulled back to the awful, <laughs> awful, terrifying... Where Alice goes on a rant about how the wheels of justice... Yeah, the wheels of justice. She's, she's like, lost it. She's like, you need to, like, tell everyone about this. we got to get this lady fired. Which, like, is completely rational, right? She's the only one having yeah. a real-world response to a bonkers situation. My mom would be the same way. Uh, I hope all of our moms yeah, like, would. I should hope. But... Um, yeah, she is. The one point where she loses me or was when she says to Betty, like, I'm not doing this to punish anyone. I'm doing this to show you what kind of awful guy Archie yeah. is. And it's like, this is a 15-year-old victim. Yeah. I, I feel like we, like, what they've done with this scene is they've tried to make, they've tried to make Alice Cooper the obvious, like, villain of this scene, but she's arguing something that is totally correct. That you cannot argue with. Yeah, like, it's literally a matter of sexual exploitation, like, this woman has broken the law, and is a potential predator, and yeah. we see later on that it's not just Archie, she's, yeah. she's a cougar on the brow. And Betty's mom is like, we need to figure this out in a more aggressive way, but is ultimately saying, like, someone needs to know about this. And everyone else in the room is like, no, protect Miss Grundy. I know. Betty's like, if you tell on her, I will tell on me. And that's like telling on you. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's like, 
I'm going to tell everyone I broke into the car, and then everyone will think the Coopers are crazy. Oh, Betty is so fucking dysfunctional. Betty is like, like, just like, she runs, she's just like... She's like, she's a loose she's cannon in such useless. a... She's She's useless. Okay, she, the only person in the show who Betty could serve to improve or help is Archie. Right. But that's only because he is so, he's like the only, like, more naive, more dumb person in the show. Yeah, I like that there's kind of a gender reversal in that the character of Archie only really exists to define Betty further. Yeah. Whereas usually it's, there will be a love interest who only exists for the boy to have a personal plot. Exactly. Um, yeah, and Archie's all like, everything I did, I, like, wanted to do, and it's like... Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, but that's not the issue here. So they come out, they decide they're just gonna run Grundy out of town. Yeah, so they they make a deal, Alice agrees to it, and Grundy runs off with her bow. And it's a good thing they're not bothering Sheriff Keller with this, because he's he has a lot to deal with, because he, uh... Goes home, mm-hmm. Kevin's with him. And they find that their home office has been ransacked. His true detective board. Yeah. And can I also just say that, like, the Riverdale version of, like, a breaking and entering case is literally, like, someone going into your house and, like, snipping the strings that linked your photos. And, like, I know. like, nothing was stolen, nothing was, like, damaged, things were just strewn. But Kevin's like, my God! And his dad's just like, what's happened? It's very dramatic. Who do you think did it? Ooh, that's interesting. I feel like it's got to be... Because we also need to think, who was, who do we know was at the drive-in, who wasn't? Because I'm thinking, Mayor or the Blossoms? Both very possible options. I also, though, am expecting, like, a return of Hiram Lodge at some point in this season. Because he's coming up more and more, especially later on in this episode. Right. And they keep talking about how he's doing things from prison. So do you think he hired some Southside serpents to do Either it? Either some sort of surrogate, or, like, he's out and on the loose and in hiding and oh, fucking shit he's... up. <laughs> he's, he's flown in from Manhattan. I hope so. <laughs> and he's fucking up Sheriff Keller's house. Uh, and back at the Lodge residence, mm-hmm. Veronica once again confronts Hermione, second time this episode. Oh, yes. She really feels like a lot of, like, parental trust has been broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she confronts Hermione, who comes clean and is basically like, yeah, so we, like, paid these serpents to fuck up the, the law to effectively, like, drop the price so your dad can still be, like, a shady businessman. And man. we know that Veronica's really, like, changed and good, because she cares so much about her friends, and she's like, but that's wrong. Yeah. And her mom's like, was it wrong? Like, did you did you not like you, our your Dakota par- yeah. apartment? Yeah, she was like, the Park Avenue house or the Hermes bags? And she's like, but those are just things. Yeah. Like, no, that's our life. That was a great scene, and yeah. then we get the Betty and her mom scene yeah. of just chilly, chilly. Yeah, so no the, more secrets. Yeah, it's a very raw moment. Betty's kind of like actually, this whole show went out with very raw exchanges between parents. and All children. the parents. We get the Veronica. We get the Veronica uh, Hermione. Then we flash to the Betty Alice, and Betty's kind of straight up just like, stop projecting Polly onto me. Like, yeah. Archie and I are going to be say friends. Say my name. Yeah, say, yeah, she fully makes her say Elizabeth Cooper. Yeah. And Alice is, like, crying. This is a very, like, vulnerable moment for Alice. And very well acted by yeah. both of them. Oh, yes, you know, 
yeah, like, I feel like this is where we humanize Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. And And then... Then Archie and his dad. Yeah, and Archie also, like, breaks down in his dad's arms and starts crying, which I actually loved. Like, I feel like we needed to see a side of Archie that was, like, sensitive to things. Me too. That hit home the point that, A, he's a human being, B, he's a kid, and C, she raped him. Yeah, she, she raped him. It was assault. That was a really sweet moment. Um... Betty then texts Archie and... Which, I'm sorry, I know I've already brought this up, but what app are they using? It has, like, a black background. They have, like, full-on iPhones like, I know, and it hand. looks like the Android yeah, texting. Yeah, it's like, it's like Android texting on an iPhone. They need to sort that out. So they out. make out, they kind of just have meaningful eye contact through the windows. Yeah. Uh, and then Betty's diary gives us the closing, which again. Which was nice. Like it. Yeah, so... And also a reference to the comics, which, like, had, like, su- like in a Betty and Veronica double digest, you would get some that would be, like, Betty's diary. Mm-hmm. And it would start with kind of, like, in a cursive yeah. box in the top, like a, dear diary, blah, 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 and that would be the framing device right. for the, the comic. Yeah, so, so they're, so they're still connecting to the comics in that way. And we see a little shot of Grundy packing up her car. She's in, like, She's in, like, giant sunglasses and her hair is down. Booty shorts. What, like a bikini top? Maybe I'm just throwing that in. I think it was a white t-shirt. Yeah. Small, maybe top. She looks hot. And a couple, I think it's Reggie and someone else on the football team walk by and she kind of gives them the eyes. Yeah. That's our last kind of So they're, like, letting her get away. She's a full-on predator. Yeah. I don't think this is the last we've seen of her. No. And uh, our, I guess, most impactful final scene... We find out that Jughead's Jughead, packing up. Jughead is packing up his workspace and also his home space. It reveals see, the bed. Yeah, there's a cot. He's got a little oven. So he's been living in the back room of the drive-in cinema. It's so sad. And then this whole last scene was so good. And he like spray paints on the side of the thing. Jughead Jones was here. Like and, this is such yeah, a lost little boy. His tag is like a little crown. He has the three-point crown there. And then he just leaves the projector room. We see Southside Serpent coming up. Yeah, to him. so he he walks out and he's approached by the Southside Serpent that that Hermione was dealing with in yeah. the shady exchange of money, and he's like, "Where are you going to live now?" And he's like, "I'll figure it out, Dad," or something like that. Yeah, the Dad thing was like crazy. Very crazy. I honestly was not expecting it, but like as soon as it happened, I was like, "This so makes sense." And I really like this was a side of Jughead. That was very well acted. He's such a little... This excuses his stupid novelizations, because it was this little, like, romantic, like, maybe they'll rebuild it all, and in a hundred years they'll wonder who who the hell we were. And it's just this cute little idealistic, like, he is so the little James Dean. Yeah, it was very... It was very cute. It was very sad. His dad isn't, like, offering them a place to stay. We don't know what happened with Jughead's mom and Jellybean. Yeah, we see a photo of him and Jellybean when they were little. It's one of the things he packs up, but we we don't get any further explanation on that. He just has his big bag. He'll figure out where to live, Mm -hmm. and he, like, walks away into the Riverdale Fall. Yeah. Now, that's the end of the episode recap, but did you want to do a a power ranking for the characters? Because I feel like we haven't done that in a couple apps. Yeah, let's just each say, like, our, Our top three. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first? Okay. Um, mine are, I'm going to do them as a package. Okay. Uh, and they are Alice, mm-hmm. obviously, especially because now she has the moral yeah. upper hand. And Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because she was in the right with taking the picture of Hermione. Right. And, and she just really is clearly able to affect uh, Veronica. Right. Um... And I want to say, like, 
Kevin because he's getting his groove back. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. I think I agree, except that for me, surprisingly, mm-hmm. Alice has dropped off my top three this Whoa, week. Okay. I feel like that moment at the end really just, like, was so raw. And, like, right, because Betty kind Betty of... Betty kind of trumped her. Yeah. So I would say this week, my third most would be Betty, because she's actually gaining some ground with her mom, which sure. is important. And we see her, like, be skilled. Yeah, we see her be things. skilled at something, and she's finally not the, like, most naive person in the mm-hmm. episode. Then I would say we've got, like, a... The mayor. The mayor is making some power plays. Yeah, she is. She's, and, like, it's going to come back and bite her in the ass. But right now, she's making money. She's keeping secrets. She's demolishing theaters. Like, she's on top. And then at the top, I would say we've got, like, a Joaquin. Although there was, like, a little flicker of weakness when he finds out about Detective Keller. But, like, he's assertive. He's, like, gone after Kevin. He's got what he wants. I think we know that things are going to end well for Joaquin. He will eventually be accepted by Sheriff Keller. He'll be brought away from a life of crime. And he'll, like, probably go to college. Oh, he will be more than accepted by Sheriff Keller. If Sheriff Keller continues on his way with gays that he has, he's going to take them to, like, like Palm Beach. He's an advocate if ever there was one. Yeah, they're going to Fire Island. Um, do you want to rank this on a scale of one to six of Archie's abs? Yes. Okay. This episode I would give five abs. Yeah. Because I like what we've done with Kevin and Joaquin. I also like how we've sort of fleshed out Veronica's backstory to finally get into, like, what's going up, going on with her parents. Yeah. But I also, like, wanted to see more punishment for Grundy, and we didn't really get that. Right. Like, an arrest couldn't hurt. Like... Sheriff Keller hasn't really done anything but investigate for, like, five episodes or four episodes, and he needs to really step in. Yeah. Uh, you can't leave all the policing to, like, Mr. Weatherby and children. Exactly, like, yeah. Um, Although, of course, that's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends really, like, didn't like this episode, and I thought she was, like, a maniac for not liking it. And really? she was like, I just think, like, they shouldn't bring in the Mr. Lodge stuff and, like, veer away from, like, the murder plot. And I was like, you are so wrong, and I'm so happy that there was no... I feel that. Now I'm, like, shit-talking. No, no her like... reasons were very fair. She's worried about it losing its focus. But I have to fundamentally disagree, because I thought this was a very tight episode. Yeah. They can't... And I find the murder plot not super interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. They need to be able to step away from it, and that's part of, like, the good part of having, like, a whole universe, is that Mm -hmm. we need to get into the character's backstory. And she said, I just don't want to have to, like, care about Hiram, because, like, I don't know if I care about Hiram. And I said, I don't think the show's asking us to care about Hiram, but I think it's asking us to care about the effect that this man's actions has had On on the lives of, like, these two women. Yeah. Uh, which I do think is interesting. Definitely. And you see their trust fraying. You see this mother-daughter relationship. Um, you see, like, Veronica trying to change as a person. Yeah, I like... really like it. Uh, I feel like I can, I'm, I'm a very high ranker. I don't want to give it a perfect six mm-hmm. because I agree with the Grundy stuff. Uh, so I'm also going to give it 5.5 abs. Yeah, that's, I'd say that's a good, a good rating. And before we close, I want to ask you one more question yes. that I've been thinking about, which is, so... I know I'm obsessed with just the aesthetics of this show with the color palettes, yeah. with the cartoony, just the colors. And each character has colors. Kevin's is like normcore plaids and beiges. Yeah. Veronica's is the blacks and wines. Betty's the pastels. Cheryl's like red, black, pink. Mm-hmm. Um, Jughead's. Oh, Archie's is like primary colors. Yeah. The red of his hair is always blue. complemented yeah. by the yellow and the blue. If you were a character in Riverdale, what would be your color palette? Okay, my instinct would be to say, like, all black, because I'm trying to be very athleisure. That's, like, one of my 2017 
like New Year's resolutions. Yeah, and you could be that. And I feel like it's person. simple to dress to, but I also don't want people to think I'm copying Jughead, especially not Jughead, because Jughead <laughs> is one of those people where like he thrives on being like the first person to do anything. Like he's like a textbook hipster. Yeah. So I feel like I I need to like throw a little splash of something else. But into I wouldn't it. classify his as all black. I think he is grays and denims. That's true. Maybe I'll do like all dark, dark blacks. Yeah, I think you should do blacks with a white athletic stripe. Yes, I like that. I like that. I'm actually wearing that right now. Oh, yes, <laughs> you are. But yeah, that'll be perfect for my Archie aesthetic. Nice. What about you? I kind of want to do, I think I would do forests. I would do browns Ooh, and greens. We don't have that and it would yet. would bring out the because the, uh, there's no one yet with just like kind of normal brown or yeah. auburn hair, yeah, like a that's lighter true. brown. That's true. With or a, re- a golden. No one with a realistic hair color. This would yeah. So <laughs> this would bring that out. It would be I would be full earth tones. Yes, I to like go it. with the Pacific Northwest. Very good. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like we also didn't touch on this last week. But did you want to do a quick who done it? Oh yeah. Because we've discussed who we thought might have ransacked the office. Sure. But um, who do you think killed Jason Blossom? Yeah, so this episode took a step back, which is actually a good space to breathe, because now you can really drive home the fact that Hiram could have hired a Southside Yeah, servant. so now we get Hiram and uh, or Hermione kind of, like, into the mix and, like, confirmed kind of suspect motives, but I feel like, or I hope, it's too simple to say right. that they were behind it. Because we also get Grundy tutor Jason, and Grundy is confirmed bad. Yeah. And confirmed gun owner. Yeah, I feel like... And maybe this is totally off, but I feel like when we find out, it's going to turn out that the person that killed Jason killed them because they were, like, caught up in the moment and had to because he witnessed something. Right. Like, I feel like it's going to be someone who would not have wanted to. Like, it's going to be, like, not Betty, but it'll be someone who's, like, otherwise completely not susceptible. I fucking hope it's Betty. Like, <laughs> like that's, like, the one thing that they could do to Betty I to make us like her more. I hope she has... Full disassociative personality disorder. It's like straight up split. She's like it's full split, and she's got the black wig, and she's like, "Betty's not here right now." Yeah, she's like, uh, "I miss Grundy," <laughs> and shoots him. And Polly revenge. Yeah. I. What if Polly is Betty? No, okay, forget that's too right. Because Betty is kind of like not polyamorous, but poly identity. Yeah, and we have seen like evidence so of like sort of split poly? personality. Yeah, she's yeah. poly poly. We've seen She's evidence of split Polly, Polly, Polly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, okay, you know what? Betty. It's gonna be Betty. It's Betty. It's Betty. It's Betty. Betty. We're putting our money on it. Yeah. Oh, and also just a quick note for you listeners at home, for next week, Rebecca and I might have actually been able to figure out a better situation for our tech, so look forward to hopefully crisper sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. And with that, follow us at, at Riverdale Recap or email us at RiverdaleRecap at gmail.com. Yeah, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you guys next week. I just hate when people disrespect my cinematic experience.